uh, literally on her deathbed, um, she said this to me. The last thing I heard her say was, I love you, which is kind of cool, right? Yeah. We don't always get that opportunity. No, not at all. Uh, the second last thing she said, you know, Tommy, um, life isn't always going to work out the way you want it to. And you, especially you, she says, are going to make a lot of mistakes. And boy, she's right. <laughs> uh, but, but ultimately, she said uh, this, Tommy, uh, every day you get a chance to start anew and as best that you can, never let yesterday use up today. Mm. So learn from that and again, never let yesterday use up today. And it's been a model that I've followed and when I've spoken across the country to literally probably hundreds of thousands of people over the years, ever since her, her passing, I always end with that because I think it's such a great message for us all in a world that's way too turbulent. It's really it gives us an opportunity to really start anew each day. I think that's a beautiful thing. Welcome to Building Ideas, exceptional people discussing inspired experiences that create an enduring impact on our communities. Building Ideas is presented by MSA Design. To learn more about MSA, visit us on the web at www.msaarch.com. Welcome to Building Ideas. This is Bill Baker. We're glad to have you in Season 3, Episode 2. Today's guest joins us from the world of education. He's an author, motivational speaker, writer, educator, and columnist for Middle Ground Magazine. He's passionate about providing career paths and life paths for students, working closely with his leadership team and the Princeton board and the entire community uh, to lead an amazing district here in greater Cincinnati. In 2021, he was elected one of three new members of the federal reserve bank of Cleveland's educational advisory council. He was named the 2018 business person of the year through the Sharonville chamber of commerce. Tom was the winner of the NASSP MetLife Ohio middle school principal of the year, distinguished young alumni award from slippery rock university he was selected as the recipient of the Gordon Vars Lifetime Achievement Award, Ohio Educator of the Year by the Ohio Middle Level Association, was inducted into both the Cleveland Heights High School Distinguished Alumni Hall of Fame and John Carroll University Athletic Hall of Fame. Tom and his wife, Franca, live here in Cincinnati, and they share the joy of raising three children, Kaylee, Bryce, and Tommy. So welcome to Building Ideas, today's exceptional person, the leader of the Viking Nation, Tom Burton. You know, my path was very, very different from a lot of superintendents or people mm-hmm. in education. Uh, certainly didn't uh, do all the right things <laughs> as a young man. Born and raised in Cleveland Heights, super blessed to be in this beautifully diverse area. Saw a lot of, saw a lot of great, um, you know, ex- had a lot of great experiences in my life there. Uh, struggled through school uh, pretty much by my own uh, volition, if you will. Didn't always take advantage of the great teaching, the great people that I was exposed to. Uh, but thankfully, um, mm-hmm. I was a little bit of an athlete. And because I was, uh, I went to school. <laughs> Without sports, I wouldn't have gone to school. Uh-huh. I, I probably would have gone down the path that many of the people who I used to hang around with uh, went down. So I graduated from Cleveland Heights forever ago, now 1983, um, ended up playing basketball at a community college, then going to Texas tech and then finally graduating from Slipper Rock university all the while Uh trying to be an NBA basketball star. 
But <laughs> to be a star, Bill, you know, they say you have to be good. So uh, I wasn't. I, I maybe did a couple of things okay, but uh, nevertheless, graduated there, mm-hmm. uh, did a couple of different things, bounced around a little bit, taught and coached at a college, had a wonderful experience at Lake Erie College. Yeah, and then after that, went back to my alma mater, Cleveland Heights, and coached there, taught at Monticello Middle School, which is where I went. Hmm. And uh, boy, it just seems like yesterday, actually. I remember the last day I walked out of Monticello, I was really upset. Um, questioning going into administration. Why would I leave such a great place, my home and ended up going to Willoughby Slake and had a wonderful six years there Mm -hmm. as assistant principal and also principal for three years, spent 14 great years at Cuyahoga Heights uh, as a middle school principal. And primarily uh, my experience was as a middle school principal at, you know, 12 and a half years out of my 36. I, I, I love the middle level. And then ultimately coming down here as associate superintendent, last five years being superintendent. Mm-hmm. In that um, journey, once you realized you weren't going to be starting for the Cavaliers or on the bench for the Go Cavaliers, Cavs. whatever. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Was there ever any doubt you wanted to be an educator as you were, once you were going through college or did it really, how did it really, you know, hit your heart that you wanted to go into this aspect of a professional life. Sure. Sure. You know, it's funny. Um, I probably answered that question 500 times in the last, uh, maybe five years. It seems like there's been a lot of, uh, conversation about like the path, like what, how did I end up here in general? Um, so the long and short of it is that I want to help a kid like me. Uh-huh. Uh, there were people that were so, I mean, they tried every single thing they could, but I was recalcitrant. Uh-huh. Uh, I was just somebody that if there was trouble, I was going to find it. And ultimately <laughs> I just wanted to, I wanted to be that difference. I wanted to be that change to be able to help somebody uh, do and see and experience more than they ever thought they could. Yeah. So um, I don't know when it happened, uh, but when it did, man, I got to tell you, education is unbelievable. I love everything about education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so often we say those, you know, we've heard, uh, those who can do and those who can't go into education. Mm-hmm. And it's such a terrible saying that, yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, we've heard far too often. And the fact of the matter is when you look at the no, the nobility, if you will, the, the noble nature of education, it's unbelievable being able to really help people being able to change lives, save lives. It's stuff that being able to to mold people, it's just unbelievable. And sharing some of my experiences, some of my mistakes, and working with unbelievable leaders across the country. I've really mm-hmm. been blessed uh, to be able to work with a lot of people across the country. It's it's incredible. And and as I, this is my, I guess my swan song, if you will, uh, after 36 years, I'll be retiring at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still have that burning desire, that passion to be able to do more. And, you know, for, I don't know when it clicked, Bill, uh, but when it did, man, it was like a fire that w- that ignited from yeah. deep inside. And, uh, you know, I can honestly say that there are very few days, maybe a handful of days when I woke up, you know, 36 years and I said, man, I want to go back to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, people who know me know I have one speed and that's, <laughs> and that's go. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm ready to make a difference. And when I go to bed at night, I can't wait to go to bed so I can wake up the next day to be able to make a difference. That's awesome. So during this journey, are there any particular people 
who had an exceptional influence on you, like a, a couple of key moments or influencers or professional, personal, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Tell me about some of those folks. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously it starts with mom and dad. I was blessed. Both my parents were educators. Uh, although my mom stayed at home to, to help us out and, uh, surely helped me out a lot. Uh, <laughs> when I took, uh, some, you know, involuntary breaks from school, if, if you know what I mean. Some moments of reflection. Moments of reflection. Yes. <laughs> that required a lot of conversations with my mom. Hopefully I didn't hear too often that she was disappointed. That always used to rock my world. Uh, but uh, I'll talk a little bit more about them, but there are a couple coaches I, that my basketball coach, uh, Jim Capaletti with legendary basketball coach in the state of Ohio. He was unbelievable. And you know, he, I only played because I worked exceptionally hard. Like every single day of my life, I shot. Uh -huh. I was, I was a basketball. I was going to be a star and I was terrible. Uh -huh. Like I got cut seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. I literally was the 16th man on a 15 man team. You're way down at the end. Uh, I was uh, wherever the end was. I was way past that, mm -hmm. but I used to rotate jerseys with a, uh, with a, a great man, a uh, Reverend Eddie Sands, just to see who would sit on the bench and hardly ever play my junior year. I was like eighth man. Uh, and then my senior year, I was like sixth um, man on a really, really good team. And so, but Capaletti, there was just something he instilled and he showed me that it was more than just basketball, your ability, whatever. It's what you brought to the team and by working hard and, mm -hmm. and being charismatic and trying to pull people together. Um, and another coach, I ran cross country to only get in shape for basketball. And uh, Dick Mann, who was, again, an unbelievable coach, but he, you know, he used to say, you know, we'd run up these big hills and it was always this thing, you know, you got to get up the hill, right? Is what so many coaches would say. But ultimately, I think in life, we get up every hill we do. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily getting up the hill that matters. It's what you do when you get on top of the hill. It's pushing off the hill. So he talked a lot about that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, through college, Dr. John Hicks was very influential. Um, he really helped me, nurtured me along the way. There are other teachers that I taught with that yeah. were amazing and administrators. But let me conclude with the influential people uh, by talking about my, my dad, who is a great man, who's athletic director, showed me the value of hard work. And as a kid, you know, you want dad to be around all the time, but um, he was busy working and, yeah. and he was an athletic director and a coach. And he, man, he was, he met everybody that knew him, loved him. You could feel his passion when he talked. He was always quick with a quote too. Yeah. Uh, my mom was, man, she was a legendary who she was as a person. Like you, I never met anybody that didn't love her. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think we, we hear people say that all the time. And maybe you question that I'm telling you, everybody loved my mother and my mom could tell you, you made a mistake uh -huh. and you leave the room and you'd be like, I'm never going to do that again. Like just something about her, something about her. And, um, unfortunately she was taken too soon from us, like my dad, but my mom's was really horrific. She was healthy. Everything was fine. And then she ultimately, um, had surgery, surgery that was kind of scheduled. No big deal. The next day we thought she actually had a stroke. Mm. Uh, she tells me, don't even go to the hospital. I'm fine. Tommy, I walk in the hospital room, doctor, like literally is right on my heels and says, you got to call your other sister. So my sister, Sally, and I called my younger sister, Betsy. And he said, any day now, They're like, 
what do you mean any day now? She's fine. She just had surgery, her vitals, everything's fine. She's been cancer free for 12 years. And lo and behold, he pulled out this image of my mom's chest, which just shows it's riddled with cancer. So it just slow, slowly. Yeah. But for, I mean, she literally was cancer free for 12 years and always as a public service announcement, I always say this when I talk about this story, um, always push doctors to do more, to do the most invasive tests they can to check for cancer mm-hmm. because that did not happen with my mom. Uh, and my mom, after there are tears and all this stuff, she was always, she always say PMA, a positive mental attitude. Yeah. And, uh, she said enough of the tears. No one's going to cry again. Don't cry because I'm not here. Cry because you're laughing so hard thinking about all these memories we created. Wow. And then, uh, literally on her deathbed, um, she said this to me, the last thing I heard her say was, I love you, which is kind of cool, right? Yeah. We don't always get that opportunity. No, not at all. Uh, the second last thing she said, you know, Tommy, um, life isn't always going to work out the way you want it to. And you, especially you, she says, are going to make a lot of mistakes. And boy, she's right. <laughs> uh, but, but ultimately she said uh, this, that Tommy, uh, every day you get a chance to start anew and as best that you can, never let yesterday use up today. Mm. So learn from that. And again, never let yesterday use up today. And that's been a model that I've followed. And when I've spoken across the country to literally probably hundreds of thousands of people over the years, ever since her, her passing, I always end with that because I think it's such a great message for us all in a world that's way too turbulent. It's really it gives us an opportunity to really start anew each day. I think that's a beautiful thing. I tell you, that is uh, usually we pick a quote or two from every episode. I know we haven't gone through the rest of this, but that's a pretty damn good quote. <laughs> I'm going to quote your mom. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, please sure. do. Please do. So um, it's been a crazy three years in your industry. Well, in every industry, but sure. especially you all. How has the last three years of the pandemic, the heart of it, the slow kind of ending of it, I guess, how has that changed education? Not only from the past, but moving forward. What do you think the impact of all this is going to be? Sure. So um, some of my superintendent friends who, who are listening right now will know what I'm getting ready to say. Uh, and at least the majority of them will be in agreement. Some push back on me on this. Uh, it certainly hasn't changed enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, during the, the pandemic, it forced us. It should not have taken a pandemic to really have us be innovative, mm-hmm. to have us spend money on those that really need it most to really kind of end some of the inequitable practices to close the digital divide. It should not have taken the pandemic to do that. After the pandemic slowly kind of came to an end, you would hear people say all the time, I can't wait to get back to school or old, the old way, the way it was or normal, right? Normal. So school, normality, whatever. I just can't wait to get back. Uh, and I remember there were a couple of people at Princeton that said, I can't wait to get back to normal. And I'm like, why do we ever want to go back there? And so, um, you know, getting back to better was mm-hmm. our motto. Uh, so really kind of looking at some of our practices that we actually were sort of forced to employ. So I feel like uh, the flexibility has definitely increased the mm-hmm. ability to look and do personalized learning at a high level to be able to offer some extended opportunities for kids throughout the course of the year changed, uh, but it hasn't changed enough. 
And, uh, you know, with all the variables that exist in education, it's hard and we're hard pressed to be able to say that one thing is what made all the difference. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I feel like um, we kind of go back, we gravitate toward uh, that kind of some of the older practices, but we're still time bound way too much. We're still date bound way too much. And I would love to see, uh, hopefully in my lifetime, I would see us go year round Mm -hmm. to have really creative scheduling to say, we're going to have, we're going to have four 10 week sessions. And they're one of those when of the three weeks that we're off, one of those is going to be like exploratory learning. Mm -hmm. And so we do that. We do collaborative opportunities and then we're off for two weeks, refresh and then come back. So 10 weeks on week exploratory two weeks off. And I feel like we have the ability, the creativity to be able to do something like that. Yeah. And uh, the way that we say education has to look like it did back in 1890, when the committee of 10 came up and said, Hey, listen, kind of makes sense to be about 45 minutes a period. It kind of makes sense to do calculus here and, you know, uh, talk about Shakespeare here. And so a lot of times we find ourselves almost like Rip Van Winkle, you know, story Rip Van Winkle, where, you know, wake up, 80 years, hundred years later, and things are still the same. Yeah. Um, so I really think the pandemic during it, we were really excited because we saw this great innovation and change. And then now we're kind of back. We were kind of seen gravitating more toward traditional practices. Now, not all the time. There's still a lot. I, mm-hmm. I think there's some people that'll be listening to this. They'll be like, not in my school district, they're doing a, B and C. And I would say this, like for those people that are listening that say, We've seen great innovation or whatever. Let me, I'm going to give you this right now to please text me what district it is and the innovation. I would love to explore more. And my cell phone number is 440-708-4800. I would love to hear. There you go, folks. Call Tom. He wants to see some innovative practices. That actually is Bill Baker's (laughs) cell phone, which made it easy to give. Exactly. I'll just forward it to you. Thank you. Um, one of the things we talk about is inspired experiences and you and I talk offline about all these places and events and things you've gone to in your life, which has been pretty rich. Um, so what's a key place, space or experience in the built environment that has inspired you? Mm. You know, architects, you know, how we sure. Are. Oh we yeah. Got, we got, yeah, we yeah. Put a little Absolutely. building spin on it or. So sure. You know what? It's interesting. Uh, I'm going to go to the art world. <laughs> so, uh, it was interesting. I was uh, walking through the Cleveland Institute of Art mm-hmm. and uh, left there and then ended up going to the Cleveland Art Museum. And they just had this major renovation, multiple millions of dollars. And and I remember I, I was struck by the white space mm-hmm. that was there. You know, you had this massive wall and you have four pictures, right? And, and it's I'm not 30 talking feet about, tall. Yeah, yeah, 30 feet tall and whatever. And you have like a, you have like a 24 by 36 you know, inch picture, whatever. And you're like, what? Um, but obviously it's so intentional and there's, um, I forget the artist, but it's ruined by the sea or ruined by the sea. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it struck me and why, like when I think about that, it's very impactful years later, I can't believe I remember this is the fact that, uh, it's a structure which, um, looks dilapidated, right? Still, you could tell it's a structure, but it's a ruin, right? So every year there's a little bit more. The sea is so rough. Mm-hmm. It's crazy and it's cloudy, right? Ominous sky, yeah. but there's a beam of light 
that actually cascades almost through the clouds, through the ruin, and it hits the spot on the sea. And I guess maybe it's because I just talked about my mom and positive mental attitude or never let yesterday use up today. But I think about that so often hmm. that, you know, even in the worst of conditions, you know, there's, there's yeah. still light. And, and so for me, like sometimes when I go into some of these areas in Princeton, we had this huge, you know, bond levy that was passed or bond issue that was passed several years ago. We had beautiful new facilities and really excited to do some master planning uh, with you, Bill, and the great MSA, all the wonderful people here. But really to, to, to kind of take that inspiration and, and look and say, whether it's white space um, or just an area to really focus on where do we want people to look? So 30 foot walls, this huge spans of space. And I'm talking about one little area. Where's the focus ruined by the sea that still impacts me probably 18 years later. And if we could develop something like that, or if in some of the design work, you could develop some areas like that where people are that inspired to be able to remember or feel whether it's, whether it's the design space and comfortable, you know, flexible furniture yeah, or flexible those. environment. I mean, how awesome is that? Yeah, that's cool. You know, I know you're a big sports fan. You know, we talk about yeah, that. Yeah, you're kind of, kind of a big sports fan. What's the best environment that you've ever been a part of in a sporting event, whether as a player, a spectator, a football dad, right? A dad. Sure. What's the best experience or environment you've ever been in? as far as a sporting event or. All right. Or so, at least one or two, a couple. Sure. It's sure. Never sure, just sure. one. Right. Thanks for saving me with that. I, I, uh, so I, I will tell you uh, when I was coaching at Cleveland Heights and playing at Cleveland Heights basketball, uh, when I was coaching there, went to States three years in a row, final four championship, t two years. Unfortunately, we, we, we couldn't get it. Uh, uh, but man, we were close. Uh, lost to Zanesville in overtime. Should have won that game. Mm. Uh, but we had a pep band and they would, they would, you know, the, the horns would play and the band would be a like, boom, boom, boom. And the entire crowd would clap. So it'd be boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and it was so like, it just got inside. Right, Even now, so long ago, it was yeah. unbelievable. So that was an incredible environment from high school perspective. You know, I love the, going to Nippert and seeing the oh. fans and all that stuff. It's, you know, phenomenal there. So really later on in life, that's it. But, uh, the, I do actually have a best. All right. Uh, so diehard, diehard Cleveland guy. Sorry, Cincinnati, but diehard Cleveland it's guy. Right. Uh, still root for all the Cincinnati respect, teams. Respect. respect Thank you. Ohio. Thank you. Yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. we're against the world. Yes, exactly. Um, so I'm rooting for the Bengals. Browns are eliminated. You know, go Bengals, uh, excited to see this run that they're going to be on. But um, as a lifelong Indian slash Guardians fan, Cavs fan, and Browns fan, uh, my dad worked 32 years for the Browns. And when he passed, uh, I said, if any Cleveland sports team at any time has an opportunity to win at an away venue, I have to go there and represent so 2014, <clears throat> I took my two sons, mm -hmm. self, who went to Golden State. I was walking around Golden State State Park trying to find tickets uh -huh. for the Cavaliers game seven against the Warriors. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and I was there. We got tickets. It was unbelievable environment. 
Yeah. And uh, it was really cool because every time Steph Curry or Clay Thompson would shoot a three, I would scream at the top of my lungs, no. <laughs> You're like the one and guy, right? <clears throat> literally. And my kids were doing the same thing. It was awesome. My two boys on Father's Day too. Where, how, where, how high up in the arena were uh, you guys? I'm going to say yes. Way up. Uh, you, can't nope. get, you can't get higher than where I was. <laughs> you were hanging off the ramp. Walk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, we were in the last row. But it was reverberating <clears throat> through the whole place. Was, listen, wasn't it? The entire sound, never forget this. So <laughs> end of the game, Clay Thompson hits a three, he's getting ready to shoot. I scream, no. And he makes it. And like 28 people turn around and go, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was so, I mean, it was so cool. And of awesome. course, you know, the, the Cavs win, which is amazing. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the things that also struck me is we we're kind of like Sam and uh, going downstream, actually, as everyone's leaving and so forth. Um, I know it's upstream, but literally we were going down. Uh, <laughs> people were kind of fighting to go, come up uh, from the lower section. And uh, people were saying, congratulations. People were saying, like, you deserve it. And I was so struck by that grace. Really nice fans. That they had. Because when the Cubs beat the Indians uh, later that fall, I had no grace at all. And I'm like, we got screwed because of the weather. <laughs> we should have won game five and actually... <sighs> We were at game five in Chicago and I was like, oh my goodness. But those environments are things that you're never going to forget. And, you know, uh, I'm not an architect, not an interior design person or a design person really, but I will tell you those venues uh, make all of the difference in the world. Like how the sound bounces off walls, you know, how you're positioned and all that. That's why I have so much respect for what you guys do and the great work. You guys do your Michael Schuster Associates. Yeah, thanks. We're, it's, it's fun working in sports. I'll just tell you, it's a great time. And offline, I'll tell you about my experience at the first game at Jacobs Field. I was, oh. I was there and I was in college. We'll take that off. <laughs> sure, line. absolutely. Sure. Yeah, shout out to my friend, Josh Vogel, who was there with me. Um, so um, in education and the things you do, are there any trends or, or issues in education that are kind of influencing how you utilize your buildings and spaces. You have relatively new buildings or beautiful buildings, great campus. You know, are there, are, are there ways that the buildings are adapting to changes in education or, you know, how are you using your buildings from a design and education perspective? And yeah. So um, I heard a couple of questions there. Yeah. One is, are there any educational trends regarding some design work and what's happening? Yeah. Why don't we so, start with that? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is the whole collaboration areas. Yeah. It's so important. And even when you come to this newly beautifully designed uh, space that you have here, there's collaboration areas. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, it shouldn't necessarily be a trend. It should just be a practice yeah. for us. So when you have smaller learning environments, uh, which is great that mm -hmm. right? you want to have that, but you also want to pull everybody together and have collaborative opportunities for kids. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's, uh, I, I think that is a, a trend, but hopefully it would just be like a standard practice moving forward across the country. Mm -hmm. So I've had, as you mentioned earlier, I had some great opportunities to get out and about and visit a lot of different schools across the country. And I would say the most most high achieving schools, whether they, they make the space work for them, although it's better to have a space that accommodates, yeah. you know, some of these practices. But uh, so when I was at Cajon Valley uh, last year, uh, school district, you saw a lot of collaborative spaces. I was in Chicago not too long ago as well. And when I was there, 
I mean, unbelievable use of collaboration. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had these unbelievable stairs, you know, uh, where they would pull classes together, entire grade level class, Uh and they would give some instruction and the kids would go all over the building. They'd be in these small learning nooks and all that stuff. So what I've seen there, I think that's the way it is. That's way one way to keep kids engaged by, uh, again, collaborative opportunities to be able to talk and work along with their student colleagues. Mm-hmm. And then at Princeton, you know, we try to do the same thing. Uh, we did have, a, since we built the buildings, we saw an enrollment increase. So unfortunately, some of the collaborative areas we had to use other ways, but <laughs> that always is the goal is to be able yeah. to pull people together and, and give collaborative opportunities. Well, good. You know, one of the things we talk about is um, enduring impact. And who or what has had an enduring impact on you, your career path, and or the business of education? Yeah. Um, again, a couple questions in there. I There are uh, a lot of people, I would say, in general that have had a major impact uh, in education. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our forefathers and foremothers, if you will, who have really kind of shaped the way that we think about education, people like Carol Ann Tomlinson and Rick Wormley and uh, come to mind, Jack Berkmeyer, who uh, has, has done so much with optimism and some other work. Uh, but I would say, I would say personally outside of those that I mentioned before um, there are for us, I think to grow in education, we have to think outside of education. And I used to be a voracious reader. I've still, read quite a bit. Uh, but I would tell you, we learn, we can learn a lot by reading the work from Malcolm Gladwell, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Adam Grant and others, uh, because I feel like they, they challenge, they could challenge us to like Adam Grant's work. Think again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, there's so many people that have had great work, uh, the Brene Browns of the world and, and others, but to get us to think and do differently. Mm-hmm. And for us, like when you think about the work, uh, now it's a little bit older work, but the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell, mm-hmm. like, I think it's really important for us in education to know who those like connectors are to help us grow mm-hmm. the mavens that we could also learn from and the salespeople. If, if you are, especially in leadership, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't always be that person that's standing and delivering. You got to be able to nurture that. So I think being able to understand the strengths and weaknesses of people, but really capitalize on the strengths, Mm -hmm. I think is really important. I think reading outside of education, it's been very influential for me Mm -hmm. to be able to, again, to think differently. And it's so funny. There was a book I read years ago. It was Tom Peters. And um, in the book, he talked about the future belongs to the quick and the dead. Like if you don't move fast, you will die. Mm. And this is an unbelievable statistic. It was something like 60% of the fortune 500, those in the fortune five, there's like a, a 12 year turnover period. So 60% of the fortune 500 in 12 years will be different. Wow. And it's something crazy. Like, I, please don't quote me on that, but something like high that, turnover. I would say very high turnover. And so when you think about that, how could huge organizations, massive, yeah. whether it's the, they failed, they're reluctant to change or reluctant to grow. And that, you know, going kind of going back to the pandemic, that really should teach us that we always have to be innovative and thinking differently. And it doesn't necessarily mean creating brand new practices. No, just tweaking, constantly yes, tweaking, right? Absolutely. You know, as a, as a parent of, of tween and younger kids, I've 
begun to see the impact of technology on education and youth and you know, it's everywhere now. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we came along, right. We came from the pencils and the note papers and now we're fully immersed. What do you think the impact is on technology, on kids and education, not only just from a learning and interacting, but just from a social perspective and how is it good? How is it bad? You know, where are the good and bad things about it from your perspective? Sure. It's certainly a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, you know, from a personal experience, you know, my f- daughter didn't get her first phone until she was a sophomore. She was the last person in the high school to get a phone. She used to talk to me about how unfair it is and this and that. And, and our youngest or our middle child uh, got one in eighth grade and our youngest got one in sixth grade. Uh, that in and of itself talks about the push. So Bryce was the last one in the middle school to get it in eighth grade and Tommy was the last one in sixth grade yeah. uh, to get it. But the fact of the matter is, I think technology in and of itself uh, is an unbelievable tool for education, for life, for organization, for, you know, I mean, so many different things to help with mental health, to do all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, but there, right now, there's research that was, that's being conducted and has been conducted at Harvard and in Stanford. And uh, what they've done is uh, they've taken a look at brain activity. Uh, They've taken like some of our current younger students and they've done some brain-based research on them. They compare them to a 70-year-old person. Yeah. Uh, And a 70-year-old person, you know, when you look at, um, you know, how the brain layers can thin and so forth as you get older, uh, they're seeing that a lot of the kids nowadays have that. And and they haven't, come out and said it's because of technology. But as you listen right now, if your son or daughter or niece or nephew or whatever's around, take a look at them and look at them for five minutes and see if they can go without some type of technology for five minutes. And it's great learning and all that stuff. But I would push everybody and say this, that we have to have a time to power down. We have to have time to push it away uh, because we do know this uh, with some uh, eye research, too, that there's more people right now that are being identified with nearsightedness, farsightedness than ever before. Mm-hmm. And if the only thing that's really changed is how often we either watch TV or how often we're on our technology in close up, and, you know, especially if you're like me and, you know, you're going <laughs> to if you want to look at your uh, device close up, you're going to have to either enlarge it or, or get some glasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I got some, right here. <laughs> but, but the reality is, you know, technology is awesome. There's so many things. I mean, it's changed the world and information's doubling faster now than it ever has. So there's so many positives about it. I just think there's a balance and you have to find that. And I haven't always found that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you were, when we're driving and we're at a stoplight, you know, what percentage of you listening right now when you're a stoplight, look at your phone. Yeah, I know I'm looking at you right now. I see you, <laughs> blonde hair guy right now in Alabama. <laughs> I know you're looking at that phone listening to this podcast, but but I think like there's a balance and we have to find yeah. it. And it's highly personal, uh, but doing so I think will help. You know, I saw, I read this statistic once that in the, it's sometime around the Revolutionary War, right? Late 1700s the amount of news that an average American living here, continental settler, the amount of news they got in their whole life about the world, we get in within two weeks. So think about that. The amount of new news or information about the world at large they would get 
we have within two weeks, probably like a, a day now. This is a few years old study, but just amazing how much it's connected us all. It is. In a big, I think in a great way, but to your point, it's hard to keep them away from it, isn't it? it yeah, it is. And you know, it's funny because you get these people that say, don't let the kids bring cell phones to school. Don't let them bring them to class. But it's like, if you look at that as a way of learning, I think that's, that's very, very helpful. It's a way of curating information for kids. Mm -hmm. And we could do that by having great instructional practices. But I also feel like there is a, you know, there's this happy medium and we have to find it. And so like at dinner time, put the phones away. Yeah. That's have, have a conversation, have a conversation, look face to face. Cause that is one of the things that, that we do see is, and again, uh, you're watching this talk to a 14 year old kid and standing up, it's gotta be standing up and look at him face to face and have a conversation. See how many times he or she looks away. But yet we also know that eye contact is absolutely important. So we have, see a lot of the skills, a little deterioration of some of the skills, just interpersonal, mm -hmm. which is why when you look at some of the businesses that we've worked with at Princeton, we have 518 unbelievable business partners. But when you talk to them, they talk about interpersonal skills all the time. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a lot of things that have happened in our, in our world but the number one thing that's changed is technology yeah. and how quick information's coming and how often we feel like we have to have it. And if that's the only thing that's changed or the biggest thing that's changed and you're always looking down and you're not looking at somebody, it's pretty easy to run with that idea that if we don't use that as much, we're probably going to be better at interpersonal communication. Yeah. That's great advice. What have you Tom Burton, the man, educator, Ooh. father, Ooh. coach, almost NBA athlete. <laughs> what have you no. learned? <laughs> what have you learned or seen in your career that could help other organizations or individuals have an impact? Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's funny because I'm going to go back to uh, kind of what I, well, not kind of what I specifically was talking about before, which was. Um, how we learn and how we grow in education, like thinking maybe outside education that'll help us. I think the biggest thing for us is never stop learning, never stop growing. And uh, the value of being vulnerable is absolutely critical. I've seen it over and over and over, you know, and as a young kid, you know, you're like, Hey, how'd you play last night, Tom? Well, I had 12 points. No, I had six. Right. But you always want to feel validated yeah. and want it to be better or whatever. And now it like being an old guy, I'm just like, you know, we just own who you are yep. and own the mistake, talk about it, get it out there and don't be afraid to lead with that. And I, you know, our cabinet, every one of our cabinet members will actually get a copy or get this recording. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're going to hear me right now and they're going to know this is true. Like leading with vulnerability is really important. So if I make a mistake in front of the entire cabinet, in front of all of our leadership team, 54 people, I have no problem saying, hey, listen, I did this. It was a mistake. Shouldn't have done that. So let's learn from it. And, you know, not too long ago, we had, we were one of the first that had the swatting hoax call. Yeah. And it was, it was horrific. It still is from a mental health perspective. It's really, really bad still. Because uh, we have kids still going to see counselors and, and as well as some staff members and families. But the reality is like during that time, like we had every excuse in the world to say, hey, we never practiced what a hoax would look like. On top of that, we, you know, we made mistakes, but come on, you would too. Mm -hmm. But instead of that, 
And we did this huge presentation in front of 200 uh, law enforcement officers and administrators, superintendents in Hamilton County. A lot of them came from Butler and Warren and so mm -hmm. forth. But we said this, listen, we made mistakes along the way. So as we go through this presentation, like, let us know, like, where, do, what should we have done here? And, and again, I think that leading with vulnerability is so important. And uh, in the book, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, she mm -hmm. talks a lot about that. And I think that's, that's incredible. So I do feel that that's a skill that's easy for everybody to be able to employ, but it's something that we're scared to do because we're still, we still feel at a young age, you make a mistake, you get slapped on the hand. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you don't eat your vegetables, you know, you got to wear them or whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> you sit at the table till exactly, two forever, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 that was always a great uh, strategy. Dad never yeah. worked. You know, my <laughs> Snuffy, our dog had the green, the green beans and the, we had, my dad used to make this liver. It was terrible. Oh, I, and I hate it. My dad loves liver and liver and onions as a kid. Oh. I was like, this was Dad, and he got, he's still with us. Dad, I blame you. Listen, listen <laughs> Mr. Baker, I, I would invite Bill over and have some more liver and onions. He loved them. <laughs> but, you know, his my dog wouldn't even eat the friggin' liver. So he it couldn't was even, so couldn't bad. Even send it under the I table. tried. I tried. It was terrible. <laughs> when you became a superintendent of schools, that's an incredible responsibility. You have a large district, well-known, well-respected in the community. What did you learn about yourself when you stepped into the role of the past five years as superintendent that maybe you didn't know before you came into this role? Yeah, sure. I, I think there's affirmation that it's not about me, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, I don't know, there could be people that are listening right now that'd be like, well, you know, you're always on social media. You're always doing this or you're always doing that. Yeah. That's not because of Tom Burton. That's because really trying to recognize the work of other people. So like I'll have this ad Viking diff program and mm -hmm. I'll do a video and be like, Hey, Vike nation, this is Tom Burton. your superintendent here with another edition of ad Viking diff. And I'll say something, um, but that's really not about me. It is. And will always be about students. So I think that affirmation, we all need all the time that the work you're doing is bigger than you, no matter what it is. It's like, you know, your work, mm -hmm. you know, so you work with all these people trying to come up with this perfect design and no issues, flawless execution, <laughs> yeah. like everything, just like it happens every day at MSA. Every day. Every day. Uh, but the reality is, you know, when it's all said and done, it's not about you. It's about the people that walk into the building. Mm -hmm. It's about people that experience that space. And in schools, it's, it's not about an administrator. Uh, I would argue that it's certainly about teachers and about kids mm -hmm. and administrators are really, really important, way more important in the building than its central office. It's just the way it is. Uh, and I would say that it's, the, it's that affirmation. And it's also the affirmation that there's no job that's too small if you care enough. Mm. So you, if you're a superintendent and you're listening to this and you walk into the school tomorrow and you look and you see trash, on the property of the school district that you represent and you don't stop and pick it up, it's perhaps you think you're too big. And just like, it's not about me. It's about the kids bend down and pick it up. You know what you'll see? You'll see, you probably won't have to do it as much because people see you doing it and know you care. And if you care, sometimes it's easier that they care. Mm. That's good stuff. Tom Burton. That's Thank good you. stuff. What's your one wish 
for 2023? Uh, <laughs> it can be as cheesy. No, or no. Serious. I'm just, I, I know you, whatever you want it to be. No, I'm just laughing because I'm, I'm such a story guy. Right. Uh-huh. And you know, I just think I've always felt like I'm not that smart. So like stories help me remember stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know there are people there that are like, you're right, Tom Burton. You're not that smart. Uh, but there's at least one person there, uh, my daughter, who's listening, who will think my dad's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were down in Atlanta to see the Peach Bowl and unfortunately Ohio State uh, lost to Georgia. But boy, what a great game. Really proud of all those guys. And we were right outside the Civil and Human Rights Museum mm-hmm. in Atlanta and there's this quote by John Lewis that's right outside of there. I actually did a va- I had Viking diff. I saw it. And I was like, uh, you know, for 2023 as we transition in new year, uh, let's live in a world full of love. Let's eliminate hate. Let's not be the type of people that are going to hold grudges. And let's essentially like love thy neighbor, even if you don't know who they are. And I think if we live more in a world of love, which I know is certainly altruistic and and easier said than done, but I just feel like if we understand that everybody has a story, I just think that's, it's a, it's easier to be forgiving. Mm. And I know there's horrific things that happen in the world and I'm not real happy when I hear or see things on the news. Uh, I'm not talking about those situations. I'm just talking about the people you work with, Mm. the people who you experience, the, the, the people who count on you and the people that you count on. Let's, let's be more forgiving and more loving. That's, that's my wish. I think we'll live in a world that's more equitable. That's certainly one that's going to make us happier. Well, Tom, I think that's a great way for us to wrap up this episode. Can't thank you enough for coming downtown and bring your AD along to say hello here from the wings. And Joe Roberts is amazing. That guy. <laughs> He's a good guy and um, wish you all the best this last six months of your tenure at, at the Viking nation. I know you have set that district up for incredible success. You and your entire team. So thank you. It's about the team. Congratulations. Happy Thanks for Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Building ideas is presented by MSA design to learn more about MSA design visit us on the web at www.msaarch.com.